0: Good wine is good wine. Doesn't have to be natural. Doesn't have to be classic. Wine is wine. I don't think uh, you should be turning your nose up at classic wine just because it's it's classic. Or people shouldn't turn their nose up at natural wine because you know it's it's hip and cool and they don't want to go with that. But yeah, it's an interesting place, the world of wine. <laughs> I'm sure. In, I'm sure. Ten years down the road, we're going to be talking about something completely different.
1: Today on Dirty Linen we are heading all the way over to Copenhagen in Denmark to talk to Australian sommelier Alex Shark. Uh, Alex has been working over there at, Copenh- uh, at Geranium, a three Michelin star restaurant in Copenhagen. Uh, Alex, I'm super excited to chat to you today. Thanks for coming on Dirty Linen.
0: Cool. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to have a chat with you.
1: Yeah, well, um, we've checked, we've checked in with Denmark a little bit through the course of this podcast and the course of the pandemic as it happens to have been. And it's been a really interesting, I guess, counterpoint to things that have been happening in Australia. You know, Denmark's been open while we've been closed and vice versa. Um, I guess with populations of similar sizes, it's been really interesting to check in with, um, yeah, with another country so far away, but yet I think Australians feel pretty connected to Copenhagen and Denmark generally in a dining sense. Uh, put us in the picture at the moment. What are things like over there?
0: Uh, well, at the moment, life is rosy in gold. Everything is perfect. <laughs> There's no restrictions, which is crazy. Um, and the dining scene is really bursting with life again. It's really nice to see um, international travellers are back um one third of our tourism into Denmark is for gastronomic reasons so everyone seems to be coming here again just dining out which is nice and yeah no complaints um it's it's great but scary at the same time right we've gone from kind of zero to a hundred really really fast um and we're finding our feet still but it's really nice to be back uh, almost alive again if that makes sense
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. But I'm a little bit surprised to hear you say that. I mean, I'm delighted, except isn't Geranium closed right now?
0: Yeah, we're closed. Um, We're closed for Christmas. And then uh, we took the option to uh, take government support on the back end of New Year's, as uh, a lot of restaurants did, because our cases were rising. We still had lots of restrictions um and then uh we went off that and now we're doing a refurb for a couple of weeks so we're opening uh, next week uh, first first week of march so we'll be we'll be in doing some testings and uh, stuff this week and getting everything ready and yeah and uh, that's that but it doesn't stop us uh doesn't stop us eating out and enjoying other restaurants
1: Okay. So it's really interesting. I mean, I guess as, uh, as has happened throughout the world, Omicron's really taken over the last few months and cases in Denmark, which were pretty much under control, were spiking just as they did in Australia. Um, it's, it's so, it's so interesting to hear you say that you opted to close. You didn't have to, but you had the government support to do so. So can you just talk a little bit more about that? Like what is actually available?
0: Um, Now that restrictions have been lifted, not much, Um, but while we still had uh, restrictions and COVID cases over Christmas were rising rapidly, I think everyone in the restaurant industry over here were a a bit on edge. They weren't really sure whether we were going to go into another winter lockdown, whether we're going to be hit with further, harder restrictions. We had our kind of late night, 10 p.m., 11 p.m. curfews, and then... Um, Out of nowhere, we kind of got the buzz that restrictions were going to be lifted. But over that Christmas period, restaurants actually had a choice um, to close if you had COVID uh, in the restaurant or even if you didn't. Um, If you wanted to kind of look after the safety of your um, restaurant workers in a mental space, um, you could choose to close the restaurant. I think what Denmark really did quite well is that they understand that not every restaurant is in the same box. Um, We're okay at Geranium. We have one seating. We get people in at 5.30. They're usually leaving by 11. So the curfew doesn't affect us. But the restaurants on the main street where a lot of their beverage income is cocktails, late night cocktails and bar programs, it's impossible for them to make money. So those, those restaurants can take the check. And government is supporting 75 to 90 percent of people's wages up to 30,000 kroner, which is about six thousand Australian dollars, which is pretty incredible. Um, and it goes straight through the the employee, uh, the employer, sorry. So no going to Centrelink, no queuing up for hours. It just comes straight into your pay packet, which is a lot easier. It keeps you peace peace of mind. And uh, I think that's something that Denmark really did well was the option was there
1: mm, yeah that's that's pretty different um so it, so geranium even though you could have kept trading uh the business decided to close simply as what because you were sort of already closed for christmas it was more or less an extension
0: exactly yeah we closed for two weeks uh, over christmas every year give everyone a bit of a a break um and then after christmas we just thought for the people for the safety of our Staff who are also completely international, so we're all throughout Europe for Christmas. Um, coming back, the what the scene was going to be like, and I think the government was still deciding what was happening.
1: Yeah, like whether restrictions were going to lift or be increased.
0: We weren't sure because you look at the numbers, they kept rising and rising and rising. Um, and after a while, they just announced the start of February, we're going to lift all restrictions and the government here, the the first thing they have to ask themselves when it comes to restrictions on any kind of medical, um, health reasons is, is it a critical threat towards the functions of society? It's super weird, but that's the first question that you have to answer. So if it's a yes, then they can impose restrictions, but they felt it was a no. So they just got rid of all of them. Um, and the reason was that we, we, our numbers were rising and rising but if you actually look at our um, ICU and health, the ventilator numbers, they're decreasing massively so the government felt, you know what, we're not, it's not a risk to our society, we're just going to lift everything and uh, see what happens I guess, obviously with uh, enough data behind it and it's been pretty good I must say, I mean uh, it's nice to see everyone out and about and Even though restrictions are lifting, still people are following the rules incredibly well. I must say, Danish people as a whole are very law-abiding and very nice. Um, And a lot of people are still wearing masks on the trains. And when you go out, people are giving you space. It's not kind of like we've all just gone wild.
1: And so you've got time off work, restaurants are open, and you're feeling great about things. So now I'm starting to see why you said everything's so rosy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's look, but look, you know, I mean, we never know what's around the corner, right? Um, it's, yeah, it's easy to be like this now, but we were also like that last year coming out of summer. So we don't know what's around the corner and I think we have to be prepared for everything. And I know geranium certainly is. We, we've, we I know you use the word pivot a lot. Um, We pivoted last year. I'm sure we could do it again. And the same for every restaurant in Copenhagen.
1: Mm. Is um ventilation a big discussion in Denmark? In terms of restaurants
0: no not at all i haven't heard anything of it one of the biggest differences was the testing here the testing facilities here are genuinely second to none um last year when we actually were open we were getting pcr test every morning quick test every morning uh, the quick test you get a result in 15 20 minutes and the pcr test you get a result in six hours so Essentially, obviously, being a very international restaurant, we were kind of treating it as like an airport. So you come in every morning, you get tested on the way. Thankfully, we didn't have many cases along the way. We only had a couple the whole time. Um, but of course, you get your result in the morning. You don't come into work, and then the PCR is already locked in to check that result. Um, so that, but. The speed of the results, the availability of the tests, that's one thing that Denmark has done incredibly. And everything is tied to your social security number. So your work can track it. Your um, Corona Pass has all your tests, all your vaccinations, all your results. It's pretty incredible, actually.
1: Mm, That infrastructure is incredible. Definitely. Um, Yes, definitely different to what we've experienced in Australia, at least over the last three or four months. Um, Yeah, it would make a big difference. Um, Alex, for people who haven't been lucky enough to go to Geranium, can you tell us a bit about the restaurant? And um, yeah, I'd love to know how you come to be there.
0: Um, Yeah, so we're a, a, a restaurant located in the corner of a football stadium. Um, A pretty odd uh, space to be having a three Michelin star restaurant, but uh, an incredible space. You kind of move in through the elevators and you're greeted into a big uh, Scandinavian uh, open dining room with the kitchen really at the forefront. There's no barrier between that. And uh, it's it's really a beautiful kind of 21 course meal of Rasmus's food, which is now 100% um, pescatarian. We don't have any meat in the restaurant which is uh, interesting um, and fun to work with. Um, definitely not something we're kind of used to yet. Um, service is relaxed, fun. Um, I know every restaurant has their weird uh, slogans, but we like to say if we're not having fun, then the guest isn't having fun. Um, and the wine program is incredible. Um, and uh, the only reason I really came to geranium was the wine program to start. Um, I have a British passport. So pre-Brexit, I wanted to get over here, experience um, the European wine scene, um, delve into some uh, incredible producers and obviously the availability to pour life-changing wines at Geranium is something you can't turn down. And then fell in love with Copenhagen, fell in love with Geranium and the people. Um, And then of course, (laughs) Corona came around and a lot of incredible support from Geranium, whether they were receiving government support or not. And also, government support in general has been incredible, and it's made it quite hard to leave.
1: Wow! So, when was it that you actually arrived there? I moved here uh, two and a half years ago,
0: October what, 2019?
1: Right. Okay.
0: Just off a or just off a whim, really. Just thought pre Brexit, you know what? I'm going to move to <laughs> move to Europe. Well, I, I have a European passport at the time, which is completely useless now.
1: And how big's the team there at Geranium?
0: Chef-wise, we're about 30 deep. Um, And then on the floor, there's only 12 to 14 of us at a time. Um, As I was saying with the kitchen kind of being at the forefront of our dining, the chefs bring out all the food, the chefs finish the table, uh, finish the dishes at the table. They explain the dishes. So realistically, we kind of only have section waiters, a couple of people in between. Um, And we really try and advocate kind of like the chefs are people too. (laughs) They come out, have some fun,
1: what hang on we've never had that before yeah
0: it's, it's crazy <laughs> isn't it like uh they're they're as much fun as we are and um we we like to get them out in the kitchen and have a joke and it's really good for them as well mentally like it's nice to see people appreciating your food the best part of our job being uh whether it's a waiter or a sommelier or a bartender is that smile that we give somebody and the happiness we see them like we invoke when they're leaving and actually just making friends with people and giving chefs that opportunity um, is a big part of geranium and also a big part of why I think our chefs stay at geranium for an incredibly long time. They're not stuck in a, a kitchen just seeing other people enjoy their food.
1: Mm. And I'd I love to talk more about the wine, but let's talk about the food first. Like what are what are some dishes that have really blown you away?
0: Well, we're just uh, in the process of changing the whole menu, um, which is pretty exciting. Um, in the past geranium, we've had ideas of dishes and Rasmus has really kind of perfected that dish across the years. Um, but then you get caught in the trap that you've got dishes on the menu for five, six years. Uh, it's okay when you're doing a 20 course menu. Um, but a couple of dishes that really blew me away was the marble take, uh, which is looked at as kind of one of our signature courses, but it's lightly smoked cod fillets and they're wrapped in a, a vegetable ash. Um, and then reconstructed to give it that marbling effect um, and then sourced caviar over the top. Um, that's a, that's a, that's a big f- favorite of mine, but also Rasmus's vegetable dishes are just incredible. He doesn't need uh, protein. He doesn't need uh, a big power flavor. His balance of flavors is just insane. Um, and when you're surrounded by beautiful wildlife, like we are in Denmark and you've got a personal forager foraging incredible mushrooms for you in the morning. That availability of incredible produce coupled with Rasmus's ability to balance flavors and cook is, is just incredible. So we have a, a private uh, personal forager that kind of forages for us and another uh, restaurant here in Copenhagen. She's incredible. So she comes in in the morning or in the afternoon, depending um, with incredible mushrooms, uh, incredible greens, flowers in the summer, and that coupled with Rasmus's incredible ability to balance flavors, um, really brings in some special dishes to Geranium. And across twenty courses, you're kind of really taken on a, a roller coaster of um, flavors, which is is always fun. And working with an extended tasting menu um, is is always tricky with the wine pairings. You're not going to be pairing twenty glasses of wine. Um, but a lot of fun kind of expanding your range as a especially a lot of flavours here we're not seeing in Australia too much.
1: So you mentioned that it's, you know, there's life-changing wines that you're able to serve your guests and, you know, it's an incredible wine programme. Tell us a bit more about it.
0: Um, so the wine programme at Geranium, we currently have uh, about 14,000 bottles in stock and it sits around uh, 2,500 different listings. Um, which obviously is incredible to be able to work from. Um, And then we're offering four different uh, wine pairings. And that ranges from an entry-level pairing, which is more organic uh, producers, super refreshing kind of light styles of wine, which are very easy drinking, to an incredible kind of life-changing wine pairing, which sits at about um, $3,500 for the pairing, which is ridiculous money. But for people that do want to try these seven kind of life-changing wines. It's it's a treat for them and also obviously a treat for us to, to pour at the same time. And I think that's a big part of coming to Europe as a sommelier, expanding your knowledge and being able to work with these incredible producers like day to day.
1: Well, Yeah, it must be an incredible experience to, yeah, well, to give other people such an experience is amazing. But tell me how it's changed you to have um, access to this incredible wine list.
0: Well, as a sommelier, of course, you're you're aiming to grow every day and a big part of being a sommelier isn't just what you're doing on the floor. It's having to go home and study new producers, study new wines and all the extra hours that you're putting in. But having those wines just at your disposal, regularly tasting every single day, you grow so much as a sommelier. Um, you don't notice it because it almost becomes second nature tasting all these wines, but when you've got... 40 50 wines open on a day-to-day you're constantly expanding your knowledge also we change the wine pairings almost every day um, and which is pretty incredible um, and it's important for psalms the worst thing that you can do as a psalm is get bored of kind of what you're pouring um, so much of like conveying wine to a guest is in your emotion and if you're not excited about it they won't be either whether it's a good wine or not um, and keeping our psalms on our toes, they're, they're all incredibly smart people. They need to be kept on their toes and changing the wines regularly is part of that and obviously helps us and myself grow um, incredibly and then hopefully bring that all back to Australia at some point.
1: Well, tell us about, you know, your previous work in Australia. Where would we have uh, enjoyed your wine service?
0: Um, you would have enjoyed my wine service at Key. For I was there for three and a half years under the incredible – um, women of key, the leadership of key, um, with Amanda and Shantae uh, and Sharon, and then, uh, coupled with Peter Gilmore's incredible food as well. Um, and then I had a very brief stint at Rockpool bar and grill as a bartender when I was very young. Um, but I probably spent more time in other bars in Melbourne stupidly. Um, and, uh, probably affected my bar service in Melbourne. So we'll stick to key. um, Key was incredible. I went there as a bartender and then Shantae quickly dragged me out onto the floor to start serving wine. And um, I really kind of grew as a person. It's an incredible restaurant um, and the management team. They're incredible. They really uh, invest in their staff and um, really want to see them doing the best. Um, So yeah, that's where you would have seen me before, before jet setting
1: over here. And what is it that hooked you into the wine world? Like, um, yeah, why did it grab you?
0: Well, my my grandfather has always been a massive wine guy. He used to do all of the wine service in British Airways, all of their training. So growing up as a kid on those super long five, six-hour dinners that we used to have, it was always like half water, half wine in my glass, which I hated, but I was forced to drink it. I was like born an alcoholic, Um, and I really kind of stayed away from it until I got to key. And I think bartending is really fun and, um, there's a lot of things happening in the bar, but in terms of like progression, it's kind of bar, bar manager, and then your own bar. And that's really it. And Shantae was for some reason, I don't know what she, sore in myself or whatever but dragged me out onto the floor and just uh keep pushing me to study wine and then fell in love with it uh and really quickly realized oh actually my granddad knew a lot about wine and i've somehow retained some of it um and the most important thing is if you have a passion for wine you can follow it easily it's it's not a boring job you know You're, or everything the, con- the world of wine is constantly changing and you're constantly learning, constantly adapting to what's happening, and um, it makes it, it's a really enjoyable job. Uh, and you get to have a good chin wag with people and drink some wine along the way. Like it's fantastic.
1: So Shante Whale, who you've mentioned a number of times um, at Key, she's also. Uh, My stable mate on the Deep in the Weeds network with her wonderful Over a Glass podcast. And um, she, when she realized that I was going to have a chat to you, she was pretty excited. She calls you her gorgeous ex senior sommelier. And she, I said, I said, give me some tips, Shantae. What should I, what should I ask Alex? And one thing that she said that I should ask you was about your weird food tattoos. So you can blame Shantae for that question, but you better tell us about your tats, mate.
0: Uh, (laughs) I don't know about gorgeous, but I'll take the ex-senior Somalia first of all. Um, Yeah, I've got a few tats. They're they're all... uh, My legs are like food uh, cartoon inspired. Um, So a really incredible uh, tattoo artist called uh, Sean in Sydney did my legs, but they're essentially a a group of uh, sexy pizza slices and hot dogs squirting mustard and ketchup into their mouths and... Um, some really kind of not dirty food tattoos, but cartoon kind of quirky food tattoos. Um, and then, yeah, I have a lot of stupid odd, like just uh, sticker tattoos um, that you'd find in a a toy store when you're like four years old, which I'll probably regret later, but, um, (laughs) here we are. (laughs) You got to deal with it now.
1: Um and she also wanted me to ask you and I would love to know also how would you compare the wine scene in Copenhagen with the Auss- with the Aussie wine scene?
0: It's interesting Copenhagen. Um obviously there's a huge scene for natural wine here. Um and almost every single wine bar is serving natural wine. Um, And I think there's a bit of uh, almost a bit of a problem with the Copenhagen wine scene that you almost have to be on one side or the other, whether it's classic styles or whether it's natural and cool and funky. And for some reason, everyone's really split. Um, uh, Personally, I quite appreciate both sides of the, the coin. I don't really know why we have to choose that seems to be quite prevalent in Copenhagen. You've either got very classic wine lists or very natural styled wine lists. Um, Geranium is one of the few that has a mix of both. Obviously, with the amount of wines we have, it's very classically focused, but there's some really incredible natural wine producers in there. But it's, a, it's certainly a fun wine scene to be a part of. There's lots of winemakers coming. Um, it's really youthful, the wine scene here um there's incredible psalms and you know what they're all 25 to 35 uh, and then you've got a few of the kind of older generation like really mentoring and teaching these guys which is really really cool to be a part of um yeah it's an interesting wine scene it's not, uh, it's it's almost like sydney in the fact that it's like you're either a natural or not whereas melbourne i feel is is a bit more fused if that makes sense you don't really have to pick a size pick a side
1: yeah definitely i think even more so in yeah since coming out of lockdown this time i feel like a lot of a lot more melbourne wine lists are yes playing it both ways or straddling both styles i feel like yeah there's no there's not that um people don't feel the need to pick a side so much
0: yeah it's i mean it's nice to see that's the way it should be good wine is good wine doesn't have to be natural. doesn't have to be classic. You know, of course if it's made in an environmental way, then that's beneficial, but, um, wine is wine. Uh, I don't think, uh, you should be turning your nose up at classic wine just because it's, it's classic or people shouldn't turn their nose up at natural wine because you know, it's, it's hip and cool and they don't want to go with that. Um, yeah, it's an interesting place, the world of wine. <laughs> I'm sure. In the, I'm sure. Ten years down the road, we're going to be talking about something completely different.
1: Oh, oh, my goodness, I wonder what it's going to be. <laughs> um, I'd, lo- I'd love to um, talk about um, matching wine or, or thinking about wine in relation to a meat-free menu. So I know that Chef um, Rasmus Kofod has been very vegetable-based for ages and I read an article where he talked about that he hadn't eaten meat at home for years, so it just felt natural to go that way in the restaurant. Um, but what's it like for you from a wine point of view?
0: Um, we never really had any large amounts of meat on the menu anyway. So our wine pairing always consisted of, uh, five glasses of white, a glass of red, and then two sweet. So now that we're completely seafood and vegetable focused, we're still, we're kind of on the one glass of red wine, but actually, if you look at this menu compared to the last, um, we're in the middle of winter, so it's, it's a little bit easier and his menus are quite seasonal. But with the roasted vegetables um, during truffle season, the, the mushrooms as well when we get to autumn. Actually, the depth in flavor and the richness of this menu is, is richer than when we had meat. Um, so it's actually a little bit easier now. Um, the problem with Rasmus is, uh, it's not a problem, but the problem for us pairing wine with Rasmus's food is that with a lot of seafood, there's a lot of that natural sweetness. So a lot of the white wines tend to taste a little bit bitter um so trying to find delicate beautiful fresh um high acid white wines to pair with his food but also have that structure in a wine pairing is kind of the biggest problem um that we face but that's why you work in a a restaurant like this you want to be challenged not all wine pairings are should be easy and also the best wine pairings usually come from trying six or seven wines from a dish that you've really struggled with and then one kind of hits the note exactly where you want it um it's a he's a really fun chef to work with and to pair with his food and it's certainly very different to kind of a lot of food styles that we see in Australia um and you have to be so careful not to overpower his food because it is so delicate and so precise in a lot of ways that the worst thing you can do is choose a ball a ball of wine and then just blow his food out of the water
1: yeah, it's it's just sounds so interesting. Like, are there some dishes that are just complete conundrums, and you're just sitting around going, "I just don't know which way to go."
0: Yeah, yes, especially in winter with the pickling and the fermenting, because um, you've got root vegetables, whether it's beetroot or celeriac, in pickled, high acid juice coupled with other weird obscure um, flowers or fruits and vegetables that you've never heard before. You could go three or four different ways. And, and to be fair, wine and food pairing is extremely flexible. You don't always have just one thing you can highlight the way it's cooked, the sauce, the a certain ingredient in there. Um, so that that's uh, an interesting kind of way to go about it, but yeah.
1: Yeah. And then, I mean, you've got these thousands of bottles of wine that, you know, might be an option. Are you just allowed to open up any old one and just give it a go? Uh,
0: (laughs) It sounds ridiculous. In most restaurants, that wouldn't be the case. But with Soren, he's um, our wine director and owner of the restaurant. Um, He's incredibly, incredibly giving. Um, If you think something's going to work well for a table, for a guest, and we can do something better to enhance their experience, he'll he'll open it. Um, Even, you know, if it's our last bottle, if it's going to make the guest's experience better, um, we'll we'll open anything really. Um, Not obviously them ordering off the list. If it's a special wine pairing for them, he's so flexible. Um, We're not just opening random bottles to try with dishes as much as I would love.
1: So, Alex, as we know, uh, making predictions about anything is a bit of a mugs game these days. But what next for you? Are you going to stick around Copenhagen for a while?
0: Um, I mean, uh, yeah, it's hard to justify leaving when we've got no restrictions. And the support Geranium has showed in myself um, through all of this. Obviously, there's, you have to pay loyalty with loyalty. They were loyal to me through a pandemic. I'm going to be loyal to them after to some degree. Um, of course, my heart lies in Australia um I'm very Melburnian let's say and actually the hardest part of this pandemic will pre- will be sitting here when Melbourne is coming alive and there's so much creativity in the city and people are opening crazy restaurants and doing crazy things and I think that'll be the hardest bit actually but I'll certainly return to Australia at some time but um there's a couple of things we need to do in Copenhagen before we we return uh, we we were number two in the world, it would be really nice just to you know take that final step um but, but we'll see who knows you know um yeah. maybe if maybe a couple of years I don't know it's hard to say we, just...
1: fair enough it's uh, yeah it's it sounds. It sounds like you've got a lot to keep you there, that's for sure. Um, If I
0: could just move geranium to Australia.
1: Yeah, well, I don't know. See how you can go with that. There's all kinds of magic out there. Um, But, yeah, Alex, I have to tell you, Melbourne is starting to feel pretty amazing and there is a lot of creativity and energy and just, you know, having one more great wine guy could be really cool.
0: It could be. And, you know, I'll be there in the future at some point. But, um as much as I love Australia and love Melbourne, um, it's only fair that I treat Geranium with the loyalty that they showed me. And also, we're, and they, we're number one in the world restaurant. Like you can't, you, we got to get, we got to go there. Got to give it one push. You know, we're so close. It would be so. I would feel so bad if I left and then we got number one. Um, as much as ranking restaurants is quite odd, um, it would be really nice to be at the the top uh, and experience that and be a part of a restaurant and a team that experiences that, you know.
1: Yeah, that would be pretty special, once in a lifetime kind of thing. So, okay, we'll let you stay away for a little bit longer. Um, is, there, is there anything else that you want to say, Alex? No, I'm
0: good. It was a nice little uh, morning chat for me, having a coffee, and nice to speak to you. Thanks for having me on. Congratulations on an excellent podcast that we all listen to on a reg.
1: Oh, well, uh, thank you so much. It's really fantastic to have you on the show, Alex. Great to learn a little bit about what's going on in Copenhagen right now. Uh, I hope it's just, yeah, you reopen and it's just strength to strength. Uh, Lots of life, no restrictions, and good times with great wine. Thank you so much for chatting to me today on Dirty Linen.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: This is Dirty Linen, and I'm Danny Vallant.